This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Door County Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, gearing up for week two of our sign discussion. We got a lot of really great feedback on last week's issue, uh, and uh, I, I think that we might uh, maybe just talk signs for this podcast for the rest of uh, for the rest of its lifespan. Because I told you, people you really love it. You were dubious. People people are interested in their signs up here, man. I mean, what can I say? When you're right, you're right. Uh, <laughs> we we have a, a little bit of signage stuff to talk about. Um, not, we're not going to spend the whole time on it like we did last week with billboards, even though that was, you know, it was an interesting conversation. Uh, I don't know if you've heard people talking about it, you know, since we've since we've recorded or gotten any feedback on it. But it is one of those things where, you know, diving back into something that we maybe have forgotten about over time or just kind of grown more accustomed to is always interesting. Yeah, for sure. And like like I said, people in Door County think, there are little things that maybe elsewhere in the world would not be news, but in Door County, they are major news. And that's one of them. <laughs> right. So uh, why don't we just jump right into it? We'll, we'll, we'll talk science first, and then we'll move through a couple of other things that we want to talk about Can today. Can I cover one thing real quick here, just to, to mention it, because somebody asked me yesterday. I'm recording right now from Bailey's Harbor, our offices, and I'm looking out the window, and some people have asked, like, what is that huge stone building going up in Bailey's Harbor? And I take it for granted because I look at it every day and, and know the background. But if you do drive through Bailey's Harbor and you go right past the village hall, that that is the new fire station that's going up with the the masonry that they're they're actually doing like authentic brick by brick or stone by stone masonry over there. And hmm. um, so that big face you're, that people are seeing and that big building is just the new fire station. It is much bigger than the old one. It uh it really fills that space and fills that whole parking lot. But um, just for those who might drive by and wonder what that is, that's the fire station. Right. Oh, uh, speaking of new buildings, um, just because we met, I brought it up on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and we weren't quite sure that uh, that business that it's like a big cube with some big garage doors on it. Uh, I had speculated on what that is. Well, it looks like it's finished now. It's a it's a two part building as you're going south from Egg Harbor. And it is I believe it's called like Door County Cryotherapy and like a, a garage door servicing store. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you brought that up that. The guy who opened that put the garage door at my parents' house just recently. And um, I think it's called Door County Freeze, the cryotherapy. And mm -hmm. we don't won't go too far into it now, but uh, Deb Fitzgerald is looking into that. And we'll be doing a little something on that going forward. That's just north of Carlsville, maybe like a mile from the middle of Carlsville. Maybe a couple miles. Right. I'm not sure. All right. We got new buildings out of the way. Uh, I'm dying to talk about signs again. <laughs> can, we, can we jump into this? Uh, you wanted to talk a little bit more about political signs uh, kind of spurred on by an incident that occurred over at the GOP headquarters in Door County. There was some vandalism uh, kind of stemming off of some of the vandalism of the signs that we've seen across the county. Uh, there was also some vandalism, some spray painting that was done at the GOP headquarters, correct? Correct. And uh, Sturgeon Bay Police Department has arrested a 19-year-old Sturgeon Bay man for spray painting uh, the the walls and windows of the Republican Party headquarters on A. Carver Road, as well as a number of um, signs for Republican candidates, uh, both Mike Gallagher and Donald Trump, uh, along A. Carver Road and then uh, 
I believe down on, on Highway 42 as you head north out of, of Sturgeon Bay. So they, they do have him in custody. They did put out a, a statement that said, hey, we will be, or I shouldn't say they have him in custody. They didn't strike that. They did not arrest him. They did not, they don't have him in custody. He's not going to jail. He's been cited for a misdemeanor offense of uh, vandalizing property. So just so nobody gets the wrong impression, this guy's not going into prison. <laughs> um, and uh, Dan Brinkman down at the uh, Sturgeon Bay uh, police department was was clear in saying that, so make sure I clear myself up there. But that sparked a, a larger discussion about like the the climate here, but also the sign debate in, in terms of like political signs in the county. Last time we talked about billboards, we touched on political signs a little bit. I dig, dug in a little bit more on what's going on there after talking to the heads of both the Republican, uh, the local Republican Party, and the local De- Democrat Party, and uh, and just some of the people involved. So. Anybody driving up here, uh, it's kind of overwhelming the number of Trump-Pence campaign signs. Um, also, a lot of Mike Gallagher and Joel Kitchen signs, big four by eight signs. And kind of what got me going is like, how big can a campaign sign be? Because it's a relatively new thing to see so many large ones out there. And then there are right. also a fair number of large uh, ones for Amanda Stuck and Kim Jensen. Not as big, but also larger than your normal yard sign. And it turns out there are some loose regulations of those in the local code but they basically don't enforce them and can't enforce them just i shouldn't say can't but they would need a much bigger staff to go around and police everybody's campaign signs and then you'd run into a very sticky situation of all right now we're limiting like you'd have to really be careful about enforcing um that equally and making sure you were catching both parties and all sides or all parties because, you know, it could be a green candidate too. Right. So, okay, I have a question about like the enforceability of something. Is the the practice just to not enforce anybody so that you're not caught up in trying to enforce everybody equally? Because when, when you say that there's not staff to drive around and check every sign, that's one thing. But when you have signs that are so like visible, it would make sense that like, oh, well, you know, this is clearly in violation. So we should probably enforce the sign rules on this because, you know, it's right off of 42 or something like that. Is, is it just like as soon as they start cracking down, then they have to be more diligent about it or like because they know that they don't have the resources to do it. They just kind of hands off. Well, there's a, f- a few things at play. So. Technically, campaign signs are regulated under the county's um, special event signage, which allows a sign of up to six square feet. And it has to be up for like a a certain, it can't be like a permanent sign. So like a real estate sign falls under special event signage. Now, that event might go on for two years. That property might be for sale for a long time, but it's not like a permanent fixture. Um, So the campaign kind of falls under that. Um, It has to come down within seven days of the event. So it would like campaign signs technically should be taken down within a week. But the reason like it's, it's very difficult. And, oh, and technically you could only have one, one sign per campaign. So you could have like a Joel Kitchen sign, a um, Amanda Stuck sign and a Donald Trump sign. That would be a very interesting voter, but you could have those three. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But you couldn't have technically two Donald Trump signs because each campaign is seen as its own event. Um, that's how they kind of look at that and get around like, saying, well, you could have Trump, but you can't have any other ones. Like, you're not trying to make people pick and choose their candidate in that sense. Um, but to, I, I drove down to Green Bay on Monday um, to go to a doctor's uh, appointment. And it is remarkable driving around this county, just how big it is. 
You know, just like when you leave Sister Bay and a community very much engulfed in tourism business and the pressures of the late summer tourism economy and the lack of staff, and then you drive south. And by the time you get to the southern end of the county, you're starting to wonder, like, you're kind of shocked at like, oh, I'm still in the same county. And that that doesn't even count Washington Island. It is such a, you know, it's such well, a long drive. I was going to say, you, you, you say it's big, but it's only 17 miles between Egg Harbor and Sister Bay. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I'll let you go get in trouble for that. But like the county's 80, right. <laughs> it's 80 miles long. So now you take that same geography and then and ask the zoning department like to send someone out. And when do you send them out to, to drive around and enforce and try and find any, all these signs? So it would have to be complaint-based. And then it becomes, and by complaint-based, I'm saying, well, if the neighbor calls and says the neighbor's sign is too big, now you go out. Well, now that neighbor is going to come back and like, well, what about these nine properties? So now you're chasing these down and those people have the right to appeal and have a hearing and all this kind of stuff. So you, by the time you actually get the enforcement done in a, in a campaign season, the election might be over anyway. So it was all for naught. So it's a lot of work for little return. So that's essentially sure. what happens with campaign signs. But one one thing I kind of wonder, and I, I wonder what you think on this, Andrew, but my hunch is that the fact that there's so many big signs now and it's so in your face, it's not just like a nod to saying this is the candidate I support, like showing my enthusiasm for them. Now it's kind of like throwing it in your face with the the as the signs get bigger and bigger. And for people who like don't want to think about politics all the time, I'm not one of them, but for people who do, like it's got to be a little frustrating and it makes it a larger target for vandals. I don't know if you if it feels that way to you, but there, I I, th- I could definitely see the argument for that. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I mean, we we talked last week about how there seems to be a majority of Trump signage in Door County, and I also saw today that the Democratic uh, headquarters in Door County just received Biden Harris signs. So, is it that people didn't have access to those signs beforehand? Which you know, in in the coming weeks, will we see more Biden Harris signs or? I, I guess that's my big question, just in terms of like the amount of signage that's out. But then there's also, you know, the the cult of personality around Trump as well. I mean, it, it, it is very interesting that around this election, you've seen people wearing, you know, Make America Great Again hats and Donald Trump shirts and sweatpants and putting on a big bumper sticker on their car and all this kind of stuff, dressing up like it's, you know, it it's your favorite sports team or something where you didn't necessarily have that in other presidential elections before. So I wonder if that's a part of it where there's sort of a peacocking that's going on. I'm not sure. I I think you're probably right about that. I've never seen a candidate like this that really got that turn that made it more like a, like you you used a great term there, like, like a sports fandom type of thing. And I don't mean to say that to, to in any way disparage people who support uh, Donald Trump. I'm just saying it. It does. It has a similarity to the sports fandom, and even even in the way the discourse goes, it's kind of like if somebody um, is knocking Aaron Rodgers and telling me someone's better than Aaron Rodgers. Like I'll go to the mat for it, you know. But um, <laughs> and the reason goes out the window with a lot of sports fans. And and I, I say this as someone who's married to a Bears fan, who they you know they 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 stick with their team no matter how many decades straight they're terrible. Um, but that's that's kind of the same thing that we're getting into politics now. And I don't know if that's maybe this a factor of celebrity culture seeping into that or not. But 
I do think, well, and back to what you said about uh, the Democratic Party just getting their shipment of signs in, I did speak to David Hayes, the chairman of the Democratic Party of Door County, and he said they don't know if the, the state party is going to be distributing larger 4 by 8 signs. He said he does have a ton of requests for them. Um, and so that one, if they do start distributing, man, if you think there's a lot of pol- political signs out there now, just l- wait till a couple weeks from now, it's going to get even worse. But then it also, I, I did some digging to see like, okay, like why wouldn't there be a lot of signs for them? Or why, like what, how effective are they really? And they, it turns out political signs are not all that effective. Um, they have, the studies have shown that they maybe sway 1%, may up to 2% uh, in the final tally. Um, and oftentimes not that. And only one out of 50 campaigns is decided by that uh, like a margin smaller than that so they don't actually sway that much so campaign managers in general don't like to spend a lot of money on campaign signs because they a it costs a lot of money to print them costs a lot to distribute them send people out you spend a lot of time handling the requests so that's kind of a pain but on the flip side it may show signs might be an indication of voter enthusiasm for candidates which might lift other voters into it so there's a lot of stuff that you can't maybe judge, but I don't think there's a lot of convincing going on with them would be my hunch. Right. Yeah. You you mentioned how like the size, the, the larger size of a sign might be more of an attractant for vandalism. And I'm trying to think of how to how to say this, but like, I feel like with, with this particular election and the last election, presidential election, there, there, there's been uh, heightened passions more so than I've seen in other presidential elections. Um, you know, the further back you get, it feels like there were a lot of, you know, policy decisions when it comes to electing or voting. And I feel like so many more people are voting emotionally with these last two elections. Um, and so I wonder if, you know, any other election, you see a political sign, you're like, oh, that's a Republican candidate or, oh, that's a Democratic candidate. But I feel like if you're the type of person who is emotionally invested in this election, um, when you see a huge sign like that, uh, maybe it does get your hackles up more because they're they're so big and they're so prominent. And I wonder if it would be the same 10 years ago or for an election, like the next election cycle. I wonder if it'll be the same just in terms of that, like just seeing a huge sign and being like, ah, that getting that anger response out of there. You know what I mean? I wonder, I wonder if it just, you know, it's surrounding Trump in these last two elections that, that the emotions have gotten so high. Yeah. That, that could be it too. Um, there's, there's also one other thing that struck me and maybe, you know, like, I, I don't know if you remember when they had ATM machines, but they were called time machines. It might be before your... That I, I feel like I've heard the reference, but that is before my time. Yeah. Um, whereas people would come to Door County and be like, like oh, where's a, where's a cash machine? Oh, there's a time machine around the corner. And people look at you like, what the heck does that have to do with me needing cash? <laughs> is and it a brand thing? <laughs> yeah, it was a, a branded thing. Like time is money, but it was T-Y-M-E. And gotcha. you would say that to people all the time. They'd look at you weird. And they also think in some cases like, are you crazy? Well, I wonder if some like something similar to that plays out when people drive up here and they see all the signs for kitchens and they just think like people in Door County really like their kitchens. I've I've definitely had that before um, coming coming to Wisconsin and, and hearing about kitchens so often definitely threw me for a loop. <laughs> uh, Jeff Sessions is another one, especially when they're talking about like lame duck sessions. Oh, <laughs> I I was like, wait a minute, who? 
are we calling Jeff Sessions a lame duck or <laughs> is this something different? So that one has been pretty, uh, that, pretty confusing as well. For that me. does sound like a nickname that our president would bestow on somebody. And especially with his uh, fight with Jeff, Jeff Sessions, it does. That would make yeah, sense. Yeah, it would just be an all caps tweet at three in the morning. Lame duck sessions with three exclamation points. <laughs> but, but no, Door County is just we are very pro organized spaces to cook food. Right. Uh, Miles, we could talk about signs forever. Uh, we're going to rename the podcast, but is there yeah. anything else about uh, this before we move on to a couple other bits of news? No, that's it. And hopefully people stop vandalizing them because it's a bad look for everybody involved. And I don't want to have to talk about it anymore. So save Andrew right. the the trouble of me talking about signs anymore and and just cut it out. <laughs> Yeah, I just don't want to come up with a new logo for the podcast, like a new <laughs> pun-based name. So if we could if we could put the sign discussion away for a bit, that would be nice. All right, a couple of uh, things just to wrap up. So uh, there is maybe a potential merger that is in the works between two nonprofit organizations. And we're just kind of in the very beginning stage of, the, of this. So there's not a ton of concrete info to report on, uh, but there is you know, some rumblings. Miles, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, yeah, the Door County Land Trust and the Ridges Sanctuary this week announced that they are entering pr- very preliminary talks, um, discussions of merging the two organizations. And that obviously begs lots of questions like, oh, wait, would one swallow the other? Would um, they combine offices, combine directors? There's all those questions. There are no answers to any of those. But um, essentially, right. they're just putting it out there because they want to hear a little bit of feedback from their own um, supporters and volunteers and and the community about the idea as they go through the discussions and figure out like, well, might this make sense? And I talked to the presidents of the board of directors of each organization, and they both said that this that these discussions have taken place years in the past, but there's they never really went that deep. And now they've decided like, let's take a real solid look at this. And it coincides with both COVID. So in the spring, when that hit, um, obviously it has a big, big effect on nonprofits. So with the uncertain future of what the nonprofit world would look like and what fundraising would look like, it made sense to um, look at an organization with similar missions and potentially discuss like how they could make some efficiencies there um, and work together. But then also the Ridges uh, in May, Steve Leonard, the longtime executive director there, announced that he was leaving the Ridges to return to school and pursue a new career. And so that left the Ridges in the um, really difficult search, having been a part of, of searches for executive directors myself on, on nonprofit boards. It's it's a really difficult road to hoe. So it, it was a good time for them to look at a potential merger. If you have an executive director in place, it's kind of hard because like one organization, if you were going to merge, like somebody's going to lose that position or have to be under the other one. That's that's tough to do. So it, it does make a lot of sense. Land Trust has a lot of expertise in land acquisition and preservation and conservation. And then the Ridges has a ton of expertise and experience doing um, educational programming and running their nature center. So the two organizations could have a lot of mutual uh, mutually beneficial, beneficial um, aspects to to combining. Right. I'm looking at the press release now, and it looks like during this kind of like initial exploratory phase, they're looking for community suggestions and input as well. Uh, so that that's kind of nice to see uh, them kind of opening up the doors a little bit and saying like, you know, what what might be a good way forward in this? And and I think, like you said, it's a no brainer. Uh, Land Trust does a lot of really great work. Uh, they just announced, I think, last week that they. Uh, acquired 20 more acres in Washington Island that they're going to be preserving. Um, so 
kind of kind of making some moves right now to, to preserve and protect even more area in Door County on top of the, I think it's almost over 8,000 or maybe is over 8,000 acres that they already protect. So Yeah. And then uh, the ridges has grown just exponentially in the last 10 years from a very small footprint in Bailey's Harbor to uh, building their new nature center and new boardwalk. And that has resulted in tens of thousands of additional visitors there every year. So they're a different organization than they were 10, 15 years ago when it was a little bit more uh, of a sleepy um, nature preserve over here in Bailey's Harbor. Right. You know, one other thing that I wanted to talk about just in kind of that same realm, uh, and and this will probably be its own podcast at, at some point, but I just kind of initially wanted to get your feelings. So the Destination Door County officially announced its partnership with Leave No Trace and their their seven principles campaign. Uh, and, and that is kind of a, it's a new marketing push to try to educate and to promote ecotourism. Uh, so helping people, you know, understand ways in which they can uh, recreate and camp and experience natural resources up here in a sustainable way. Uh, and I think that that's really cool. Uh, like I said, we'll probably talk about it at length in a different podcast, but I just wanted to get kind of your uh, your first impressions on a more like eco or sustainable tourism slant that's coming out of the former Visitor Bureau right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really smart move. Um, I know that Michelle Rasmussen and the team over there at the Dork uh, Destination Door County has uh, been discussing a campaign like this for a couple of years. And in part, just because, you know, it's a smart thing to do when you are entirely dependent on your environment for being the destination that you are. But also with the business influx that we've had the last couple of years, there has been some push from business owners like, hey, we got to think more about who we're bringing here, why they're coming, how we control those numbers, and what's the right visitor and the right numbers of visitors to be bringing to Door County. And this is kind of a organic response to that of, of actually promoting it in a certain way and but also getting buy-in from the community to ask more of the visitor, I think. And it's, you know, when when you have to protect this, like this that's your golden goose is your environment. Like it, it makes a ton of sense. Right. And and I feel like it's smart not only in terms of like land conservation and, you know, promoting sustainability, but it I think it's a smart marketing push as well for a younger demographic. It feels like uh sustainability and you know, reducing your footprint and that kind of stuff has been a big thing with my generation and the generation before me. Uh so it feels like it's 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 something that is you know, smart in terms of marketing as well, because I feel like when I go places, if I want to, you know, experience backpacking or camping or hiking or getting out on the water, stuff like that, I want to do it in a way that's sustainable. I don't want to, you know, I, I feel like there's a greater push for people to backpack camp or to tent camp. There's, I don't feel like there's a lot of uh, people my age who are springing for a big camper, but uh, so, so yeah, I think that it, it, it's a smart marketing push as well as something that's good for the environment. Um, you know, as, and this always been the the paradox with Door County, right? It's like you want to bring people here, but every everyone wants the business. Everyone wants more of the shoulder season and more of the winter season. But like at the same time, whenever it gets busy, people say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! It's too busy. I'm worried. It's going to change the character." And so that's always been the the struggle uh, for those, at least in the tourism industry in Door County, and to some extent, people that don't even know they're in the tourism industry. Like people say, "Well, I." I don't get benefit from that. And then you go, well, you do have really nice schools and really nice roads. And quite frankly, without tourism, that there's nothing here to pay for those. Um, right. But I think it was back in 2008, maybe I wrote a, 
a big article for the Door County Living magazine just about the same principle. I think it was sustainable tourism, like um, leave no foot or leave only footprints or something like that. And it the question then was, could Door County continue to grow, continue to thrive, and maintain its its character, its essential character? Um, and looking back on that, twelve years on, I would say for the most part, yes. Like we've done as much as we've expanded tourism here, and we're we're busier now than at least any time since the late 90s. Um, some would say that we're busier than ever. I would say it's probably comparable. Maybe it's a little busier than the, that late 90s era. Um, but in that same period, we have restored at least a dozen different beaches um, to conditions that are far better than they were 12 years ago. We have expanded access, public access to shoreline um, all over the county. The, the Land Trust has bought thousands of additional acres and put them into permanent protection. Um, other parks have expanded. Door County parks have expanded and bought more land. So there are just incredible landscapes and, and beautiful sections of, say, like Door Bluff Headlands that have been put under permanent protection. So and, and the facilities at those access points are better than ever. And that's part of that's a weird paradox, too, because that also drives more people to want to come here because the beaches are nicer um, and the access is greater. And then it drives more people to want to live here and build more homes. So you have more impervious surface. So there's, it's a really tough balancing act. And I actually think Door County has done better than I would have expected when I wrote that article 12, 13 years ago. Right. Well, uh, with that uh, little uplifting bit there at the end, is there anything else that we should chat about this week before we wrap up, Miles? I should touch on, um, before we recorded here, I came back from a uh, appearance by Congressman Mike Gallagher down at Door County Medical Center in Sturgeon Bay. Um, he was there with the Deputy Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services to talk about, not necessarily a new announcement, I think it's this it's kind of an announcement that came out several weeks ago, but um, the continued push to take advantage of some of the things that have been put in place in terms of healthcare during COVID-19 and during this pandemic, um, particularly with telehealth. Um, prior to the pandemic, Door County Medical Center had never performed a single telehealth visit, zero. Brian Stevens, uh, the executive director, told me today, since the pandemic, they've now performed over 2,000. And a lot of hospitals now are wanting to continue doing telehealth. Uh, they found it um, an affordable thing to do. They found it um, something that's still effective. And But there's always been rules against those visits. Same thing like there are rules against telehealth for mental health visits, which made doing some of that stuff for like county departments very difficult. So there have been some actions to um, loosen those regulations and allow those, those visits to continue. And I talked to Brian Stevens after this announcement and asked if this is a concern for patient care. And, and he said his physicians didn't think it was because, you know, if, if someone really needed to be seen in person, they'd still do that. Like it's, there's not a push to like go all telehealth. Um, but it does save in a rural area, a lot of transportation for patients and, um, some of the overhead costs possibly for the hospital. So there is kind of an interesting change as a result of COVID-19, um, does not seem to be like something that would end up in savings for the consumer, unfortunately, but possibly some efficiencies for the hospital. Right. Yeah, there are definitely there are definitely types of appointments that I think are 
totally appropriate to do over uh, over a video conference. One of one of my son's checkups was done over telehealth with our doctor. It was it worked out really great because uh, most of it was just you know question type stuff anyway. So he didn't need to be seen. He wasn't getting vaccinated at that point. So it it totally made sense to do it like that. And I think that there's a lot of different scenarios where it would make a lot of sense for everybody if it was done you know over certain things of course you can't do like that but i i, I think it's totally a, a bold new direction for for this kind of uh then again I, i'm a young guy and i prefer to do as much stuff over the internet as i possibly can uh like i'm the type of guy who will order my pizza on the you know the website or the app before i'll call and my, my wife will be like why don't you just call you could have ordered it already i'm like i know but just give me a second let me just finish <laughs> my order <laughs> You know what I mean? I, if I don't have to talk to somebody on the phone, I, I won't. Um, so I, I think it's totally a good step in that direction. And I think that there are certain things you mentioned there being, you know, regulations on doing telehealth for mental health. But I know that there are, you know, there are online resources that you can get for therapy and, and things like that. And I think that that just makes things more accessible for more people. So I think it's a it's a great new direction for certain things. Yeah, especially in a place as, as wide as spread out as Door County. Um, I did right. ask Eric Hagen, the, the deputy director of health and human services, if, okay, so there's, there's usually those regulations are there for a reason. So what are those gaps now that are going to, um, that we're going to have to fill and be worried about if you loosen that, um, what, what are the potential harms to the patient? And those are clearly like maybe something being overlooked because it was done by telehealth and not in person. And that is something physicians have always been worried about. And um, Hagen actually said it was it was more of a cost thing, but Brian Stevens um, said that in his experience, it's not so much a, a cost thing, although people had to get used to technology. And by people, I mean like the actual healthcare provider, but also like physicians typically have not wanted to do telehealth. They feel like they, they do need that hands-on time with the patient. And now because they were forced to, they've kind of been forced forced to figure out a way to still be effective by doing telehealth. And I think they've, what he said is they've found a lot of ways they can use it. Whereas before they were just like, no, no way, no how. So it's, it's a bit of an educational, just like, you know, so many of our grandparents have figured out FaceTime and Skype and Zoom because they had to, to see their grandkids or to see their kids. Um, so right. it's all these things that were like hardcore mental blocks. Anyway, even in our office, we've had Slack and there's been a, about, 30% of our office consistently used Slack for the last couple of years. But then when COVID-19 hit, you know, it's universal. Everyone in the office uses it now because you have to. And it and it's really not that hard. It was just like took forcing people to try it. They didn't have a choice. Right. So if we were going to work remotely and, and still put out a paper every week. So you're seeing that in healthcare. You're right. seeing it in all sorts of uh, fields. Well, with that, Miles, let's wrap up. One last thing I wanted to just briefly plug. So we've talked about the Wisconsin Podcast Association Awards for a while now. Uh, asked you to, asked our dear listeners to nominate us uh, for the several different um, categories that they had. And they just came out with the finalists in their different areas. And we have been nominated for two of the Wisconsin Podcast Awards. Uh, so thank you so much for, for nominating us. Now the next part is to vote uh, to you know, see if maybe we can win this. We're we're in really good company in both of our pod or in both of our categories. So uh, 
it's going to be a toss up between any of them, but uh, we have been nominated for best business podcast and also podcast of the year. So thank you so much if you voted or if you nominated us for the award. Uh, Now we're kind of in the final stretch and you can vote at wisconsinpodcast.com. You can just fill out the little survey there to finalize your vote and uh, we'll see what happens. But I just wanted to thank all the listeners who nominated us for these two categories and, uh, We'll see what comes of it, but it, it's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you, listeners, and uh, congrats, Andrew. Um, and then uh, I, I am disappointed that we didn't get nominated for Silkiest Voice. I believe that's probably my fault, but you know, I'll take the two nominations we got. You know, that's true. Uh, Silkiest Voice isn't a category, but Best Sports Podcast is, and I figured <laughs> with the amount of times that you talked about coaching high school basketball that we at least had a chance there, but maybe next year. <laughs> Maybe next year. With that, Miles, uh, thank you so much for chatting with me, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.